Shalom Mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family, and we're the Mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people with the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar, or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. I have my friend Stephen Brooks in the studio today, and uh, Stephen was telling me about a new teaching that he has on how to be aware of your angels, how to operate and work with your angels. And uh, he's not talking just from theory. He's talking from personal experience. And we're also interviewing him on his amazing new book. It's something that has been hidden too long. It's called God's Nuclear Power. It's something the first believers in Messiah totally understood. Uh, Stephen, tell me the first time you encountered an angel that that you can remember. The first time it happened, Sid, was in the year of 2000. When I was praying and seeking the Lord, I was actually out of my garage on my knees. Uh, the garage was right next to the house, and I was in prayer. And the next thing I knew, I had been caught up to heaven, and I saw the throne of Jehovah God. Wait a second. Had you ever been caught up to heaven before that? I, I got to know this. <laughs> sure. No, this was the first time. This was my, uh, how can I say, my baptism by fire. I had heard about these types of experiences, but I'd never had one like this myself. All right. As it was going on, were you just so preoccupied to not be fearful, or were you a little fearful? Well, at first, I was wondering what's going on, because it seemed like I had somehow got placed in an elevator, and I was getting sucked up. It, like I, it looked like I was getting pulled through white clouds, going at some type of phenomenal speed, and I knew I was going up, but I didn't know where I was going. I, all I knew was that, that I was not in that garage anymore. I was, I was literally taken into a different realm. Uh, what was the first thing that you saw in this different realm? Well, my feet came down on a solid substance. And I looked up, and I saw these most beautiful colors swirling together. Colors, but, but, but there was no room for fear, or was there? No, no fear, just okay. a deep peace and an uh -huh. awe. I knew I was in the kingdom of you God. You know what? It almost reminds me of the, the day I got saved in a revelation of Jesus. I went to bed so fearful I didn't want to live. <laughs> and when I woke up, I if, I, if you had said, I'll give you a million dollars if you can be fearful, right. I could not be fearful. I was encased in such peace. So I understand what you're saying. Right. It's a completely different realm, and fear yes. is not allowed there. And I saw these amazing colors swirling together. It appeared to pre predominantly be like an orange, a soft orange-type color. And then as my eyes began to kind of look forward, I saw the most gigantic and awesome throne I've ever seen in my life before. And it was covered with a white, a glistening white cloud. And I saw these armrests jutting out way up high. And down at the bottom, I saw uh, these enormous feet. And I was completely overwhelmed. I knew that was the throne of Jehovah God. And uh, I also could see angelic beings. And that was the first time I'd seen uh, these holy angels. And they all were worshiping the great okay. God Did Jehovah. Did they look different than 
your imagination would have said angels look like before that experience? They look a lot like people, but some angels have wings. Not all angels have wings. Some angels had different types of uh, garments on with different colors. I began to understand later in my walk with the Lord that the different colors of clothing that the angels wear can represent different levels of rank or authority and also different classifications of jobs that they do. Oh, that's interesting. I'd never heard that before. Just like on the earth, you could have a fireman where he's he's going to wear fireman-type clothing, right. a policeman wears policeman-type clothing. And these angels, uh, depending on what their assignments are, they will dress according to that. And even not only the type of clothing, but the color of their clothing can also indicate the type of work they do. All right. Did the Lord, was the Lord on his throne? Yes, he was. It and was, you could see him? I could see I could see uh, this gigantic throne and just an outward uh, identification of the throne. But after a few minutes of looking at this overwhelming sight, the two most largest hands I've ever seen in my life came out of that cloud and picked me up and pulled me into that cloud. And God the Father uh, actually sat me on his lap, and I was there for about three minutes. And it was one of the most overwhelming, most awesome, overwhelming experiences of love I've ever had in my life. I heard the Heavenly Father speak three words to me that I I had never heard from my natural father. Now, my natural father is a wonderful man, but he just never had the ability. Some Some of the men in the older generation didn't have the ability to release sometimes their feelings. But I heard God the Father tell me three words. He said, I love you. And when he said that, it felt like every shortcoming, every time in life things never worked out, every failure was just instantly wiped away, and I felt complete. I felt peace overwhelm me, love overwhelm me. And then he picked me back up and set me back outside of that throne area, and I just looked at that uh, amazing spectacle of the glory of the throne room. And uh, it took me, it took me a, a little while after that experience to get back into a normal mode. I could hardly eat or talk for the next three days. Uh, let me ask you a question uh, because you sparked an idea. Uh, when you were told that God, when God said to you, I love you, um, and that amazing love that you felt. Yes. I was reading in John seventeen twenty one this morning. I pray that they might be one as Jesus is with the Father. That's how you and I or you and any other believer are to be one. Do you think it was that love that you experienced there? Believers are to experience to one another on earth? Yes, we're all looking for that love, for that affection and Uh, This is why people sometimes get off into certain areas of sin because they're trying to fill that void with something besides God. They're trying to fill it with drugs or trying to fill it with sexual immorality or they're seeking something to fill this longing that they never received. And so I felt the love of God. I felt like the Father loved me just like he loved Jesus. And uh, I, I felt like I belong to this family. God really does love me. I actually have a Heavenly Father who cares for me, who watches over my life. But you knew that intellectually before this experience. That is but correct. But you experienced it. It, That's... It, it just touched me. It, it somehow made up for some things in me that still felt a little bit missing in my life up till that point. And I, I could say I'm complete in Christ, but there is a point where you know you're complete in Christ. It's more than just a, a statement out of the Bible. Uh, out of curiosity, um... Did he say anything else to you besides I love you? As I stood there looking at this scene of this gigantic throne, uh, the hand came out again, and this time the hand was closed, 
And this gigantic hand of the Father came right up to me. I, I could see the robe, this gigantic robe coming all the way down uh, to, to the end of his wrist area, this lush, beautiful robe. And he slowly opened his hand up, and inside of his hand was the most exquisite-looking necklace I've ever seen. And the necklace, the centerpiece, was a diamond. And the Lord, the Father, spoke to me and said, this is the diamond of hope. He said, your hope is very pleasing to me, and hope is a divine expectancy that what I've promised you can come to pass at any moment. And so ever since then, I've always loved the subject of faith and hope, but in order for your faith to really be in gear, your hope and your expectancy has got to be there. And uh, when the vision was finished, uh, tell me what happened when you snapped out of it, so to speak. Well, this necklace was placed around me. And it, it, it was somehow like a spiritual adornment that God had placed upon me. And, and the Apostle Peter talks about the type of adornment that's pleasing to the Lord. Sounds to me like it would be in the same classification as a mantle. I believe so. There's different graces that God can impart to his people. And once this, this necklace of hope was placed on me, the next thing I knew, I was back in the garage in a kneeling position. I had gone into a trance just like Peter did when he was on the housetop uh, waiting for a meal to be cooked for him. He fell into a trance. And what had happened, I had fallen into a trance. I had no knowledge of my natural surroundings. I had had a wonderful experience in the heavenly realm, in the very throne room of God. You know what I often wonder, Stephen, is someone like you, someone like we read about in the Bible that have had these wonderful experiences, someone like Jesus why was it necessary for them and you to pray and fast? It seems to me you're, you already had, had arrived. Why would Jesus have to pray and fast? I, I, it doesn't make sense to me, Stephen. I think what it is is it's a sense where physically and mentally you know there's something more. And the only way you can touch that is something spiritually. And it, this spiritual hunger like uh, David said, is a deep calling unto deep. It's going deep within you, going beyond even your mental ability to grasp it. And uh, fasting is a response of your spiritual hunger actually overtaking even your natural hunger. And you're so hungry for the things of God, you're like, I'm so hungry and so in love with the Lord Jesus, I'm going to skip a meal to try to spend more time with him. And that's how you begin moving into it, out of a spiritual hunger and desire just to get closer to the Lord. And it can overwhelm even natural hunger. The first fast you had, um, how long was it, and why did you do it? Um, this might not be the, um, the blueprint that I would suggest for everybody, but the first fast I ever did was a 40-day fast. I'm glad I wasn't drinking at that time. <laughs> I would have choked. <laughs> a 40-day. How did you do that? Oh, I just, it was a little bit of frustration in a sense that I was not happy. I felt like I'm supposed to be at a different level, at a different anointing, at a different place of understanding. And I thank God for everything he had done in my life. I was, I had no reason to complain. I had a nice home, a beautiful wife, a wonderful family. But I said, Lord, there's got to be more. I, there was something I couldn't touch unless I knew I began to dig deeper. So I decided I'm going to uh, solve this mystery of this great hunger I have, and I'm just going to seek the Lord. And I, I just said, I'm going to do a 40-day fast. And I somehow, by God's grace, it must have been his grace, I did the whole 40 days, no food at all. Today, would you advise people to do a 40-day fast if they want a breakthrough? 
I think it's, it's more of a rare situation when God would call a person to do that, particularly a beginner. That would be a very uh, rare, one-in-a-million type case. And uh, What would you tell someone that has never fasted before? What would your advice be? I'd say start small, work what, your way what up. What is small? I'd say three days would be a tremendous accomplishment. If for a person to eat no food for three days and maybe drink juice, maybe just drink water or some vegetable juice. I, uh, I have to tell you, I, I did what's known as an ester fast one time with just water. Yes. And it wiped me out. I've, I found I needed juice when I fast. Oh, we're out of time. Uh, Mishbucha, I want you to get Stephen's brand new book, God's Nuclear Power. It, it'll, it'll get you where he is. It'll get you to be able to work the same miracles that Jesus did. It'll get you to receive downloads for every area of your life. It'll cause the gifts and callings of God to be activated. And his second book called Working with Angels, must reading for the last days, available for a gift of $30. Call our order only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. My guest, Stephen Brooks, on yesterday's, I was, I was drinking some water. I, I, I was starting to take a gulp, and I was so glad I hadn't because I, I just casually said to Stephen, uh, the first fast you went on, do you remember it? How long was it? And he just rattles off, 40 days. <laughs> now, Stephen, did you see any specific fruit of results from that 40-day fast? And by the way, he was quick to say he doesn't do things like that now or advise it to people unless God tells you to. But go ahead. Well, one of the things that came out of that was just a deep peace. I felt after the fast was accomplished that any anxiety or wanting to rush things with the Lord was just gone. I felt in my heart that I knew that the things God had planned for my life were going to unfold and that God's hand was on my life and everything was going to be fine. I, uh, sometimes we can, we can say, win God, win. And to rush God is actually to find fault with God. So I just had such a peace that overwhelmed my life that even things that used to maybe irritate me or frustrate me before, it was just gone. And now I could just, I could find myself that I could smile at it. Things wouldn't faze me. Uh, you and, know what it sounds to me like you tasted a little bit of? In Hebrews, it talks about there's a day, and there, this day is called the day of the Sabbath rest. And it sounds to me like you entered into it. Yes, it felt like every day was a Sabbath rest. Uh, even when working, I just felt the joy. I, I felt that God's hand was on my life. And I knew that also the Lord had heard my prayers and that although the Lord never came and talked to me personally in a sense during this fast, I never had any spectacular type thing happen. I did have a deep witness in my spirit that God had heard my prayers and at the right time and in the right way, they would be answered and everything was going to be just fine. I I have your new book. It's called God's Nuclear Power. And uh, candidly, most Christians know about prayer and fasting. Most people realize we're instructed to do this. Most people see the great power uh, that the apostles had, that Jesus walked in, and he did these things, and they did these things, but most people don't want to do it. Why? 
I don't think they understand the great rewards that are waiting on the other side. And uh, it says in the Bible that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's in Hebrews. And that word rewarder actually means wage payer. God has these wages that he can pay, and they're so off the chart. And I'm not, I'm not talking about like a monetary type wage where we might get a paycheck every two weeks because the Lord doesn't pay every two weeks. He might pay maybe uh, every six months or he might come around at certain seasons in our life. But when he comes with the revelations and the blessings after we have had seasons of seeking him, my goodness, you wouldn't want to trade it for anything. It's priceless what he can do. Paint me a picture of some of the things that God does when people fast And in particular, you point out in your book that don't just fast, which could be an extreme diet, but fast and pray. You put the two together. I'll just give you one example. I went to do a a meeting one time in the state of Pennsylvania, and I went into the meeting with three days of prayer and fasting, uh, dialed the food down to Harley, uh, any amounts of food. I, I ate a few cashews and a few peanuts, so I was definitely hungry. But I dialed the food intake down and just drank water, drank a little bit of juice, went into a meeting. And when I got to the meeting, something had happened at at the church that was hosting me where there was a miscommunication and there was a very small turnout. Uh, I was told before I came that we'd have about 300 people in the meeting. And when I got there, there was only eight people. Oh, no. And so the first thing, I I felt like the the enemy tried to discourage me with thoughts by saying, you sought the Lord, you did all this preparation for these meetings, and now there's nobody here. You completely wasted your time. And I said, said, Lord, I'm going to preach to these eight people or however many show up as if there were eight or 10,000. And so by the time the meeting did start, we had swollen up to the large size of 15 people. And so, but I just went out, ministered, had a good time, and the Spirit began to move. And after I preached a, a message... There were some ladies in the meeting who had seen my itinerary and noticed that I was in town. They came to the meeting, and they brought a very nice African-American lady with them, and she was in her mid-40s, and they said, Brother Stephen, please pray for our friend. She has recently become a Christian, but she feels that she's under such a heavy darkness all the time. And I said, okay. And so the lady stood in front of me. I began to pray for her, and I saw that she was under bondage to a former spirit of religion. And it was a very dark religion that she had uh, come out of. And I rebuked that, and it left her. And when I touched her, the Lord Jesus filled her with the Holy Spirit, and she fell out on the floor. Now, this lady had been a Muslim all of her life, but recently became a believer. And she fell out on the floor. But she still had that baggage chasing her around even though she was a Christian. Yes. There was no question she was born again. Her heart belonged to the Lord, but she had the baggage. And instantly the Lord Jesus baptized her in the Holy Spirit. She fell out on the floor, uh, began to prophesy. And and the very next day she told us that when she fell on the floor, she had a vision where the Lord Jesus walked up to her and said, I have filled you with my spirit. Now walk in my power. But also when she woke up the next morning, now this lady was in her mid-40s, When she woke up the next morning and went outside, she was shocked. For the first time in her life, she saw that the sky was blue. She had no idea the sky was blue, Sid. She thought all of her life as a Muslim that the sky was gray. And when she she became saved— There was almost scales over her eyes to see the beauty of what God's done. 
Yes. When I returned from this trip and I was back in my local hometown, I went to get a coffee and ran into a friend of mine who immigrated from Iran, now lives in America. And I shared with him this experience of this lady. Uh, he said, oh, yes. He said, that's very common in the, in the Arab world, that when a person experiences a genuine conversion and gets filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, the former Muslims, they get saved and the grayscale comes off. And then they're able to see everything in color the way God intended them to. Tell me, rattle off a few things that you have seen in your own life that has happened to you because you have done a fast or, or, or prayed and fasted. I had a piece of property for sale. Uh, my ministry owned this land, and we tried to sell it. We put it on the market for three years. And in three years, only one person uh, came and looked at it, didn't really have an interest. And, you know, it was a beautiful piece of property. Even the realtor said, she said, Stephen, this is a fabulous piece of property, and there's nothing wrong with your property. It's just that there's no property selling right now. Banks are not lending money on land. We've had the economic recession. Uh, so she said it's just almost impossible to sell land right now. Well, you right realize now. you're talking to someone right now that wants to sell their house, their land, uh, a lot of someone's, but go ahead. Sure. So for three years, uh, nobody interested in it, couldn't sell it. I actually thought, Sid, I don't even know if I could give this land away. I said, Lord, if I tried to give it away, I don't know if anybody would take it. <laughs> That's how negative it, the situation looked. But I said, Lord, I'm going to seek you. And I believe you can help me sell this land. So I pulled out all the stops, and I fasted, and I prayed for 10 days. Didn't need any food for 10 days. Drank some uh, water, drank apple juice, some other types of juice. And on the 10th day, the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to help you now sell that land. And so I sent out an email again saying that I've got a piece of property for sale. I've sent out emails before. I put out brochures, but I sent out one email, and instantly, overnight, I had eight people wanting to buy the property. It didn't make any sense in the natural. I actually had to pray and, and, and ask God, who do you want to buy it? And the person that the Lord said, I want this person to buy it, was a person who never had even seen the land. They actually never even got the original email. Somebody else received the email and forwarded it to that person. They ended up buying the property at the full asking price, sight unseen. Let me ask you a question. Uh, yesterday we talked about you don't encourage long fasts unless God himself tells you to. Uh, you said something about three days. But that's still very intimidating to people that have never fasted before. Three days. What, would it do any good? This is my question for you. If someone fasted one meal, I think the Lord would be greatly impressed with that. Uh, the Lord responds to all of our actions to seek Him. He takes note of the slightest thing, whether it's uh, studying your Bible at lunchtime, during work, and these extra things we do. But wait, wait a second. Uh, the gospel's grace. It's not works. You're correct. It's not by, it's not by works, but even as uh, James said— that if we do have faith, there will be works to go along with that. Now, we're not doing works to try to earn something because Jesus already earned it for us at Calvary. But what we're trying to do is really back down the Adamic nature that so often tries to interfere and override our spiritual authority of who we really are. You know, to me, one of the greatest values of fasting is to put down the flesh so your spirit can gain ascendancy. That is correct, and now you know the perfect will of God. Now your ability to hear and discern what God wants you to do is so sharp and so clear that the rewards that come out of that are fabulous. 
And so that's why I would encourage a person, whether it's one day or three days. See, those are all... But what about someone that goes to work and they're not going to have energy? That's a great question. So what you have to do is you've got to drink a lot of juice. Uh, If you just drink water... I'll tell you what, we're out of time right now. Well, I want to pick up on that question on tomorrow's broadcast. You don't have to be a mental giant to know that Jesus is coming back quickly, and he wants to do a quick work in your life. And these two tools will make such a difference. Uh, Stephen, on yesterday's broadcast, we were talking about fasting. Uh, And uh, I said, uh, you started out, the first fast you ever went on was 40 days, totally intimidated everyone, including yours truly. Uh, But but then you said, but uh, I don't recommend that. I recommend that only if God tells you. Uh, I recommend a three-day fast, but you still totally intimidated a lot of our listeners right now. Uh, And uh, so I said, would it benefit one meal for someone that's never fasted before. I mean, let's start start real little. But but and then we got and you and you said absolutely. God is going to be aware of it, and it's going to open something in the invisible world that it hasn't been opened. Yes, I would encourage anybody who's wanting to experiment with fasting, step into this area of fasting, to start step by step, and also prepare yourself if you're going to fast for one day then get your mind ready. Uh, uh, prepare yourself so that when you go through it, when you enter into it, you're, you're not wanting to back out. You commit yourself to it. You might even want to sign a little piece of paper and say, I, and put your name in there. Say, I dedicate to do a 24-hour fast for the purpose of praying for my son or for the purpose of praying for my pastor or for praying for this particular ministry. And just kind of lock yourself into that and then prepare yourself. Also prepare yourself uh, mentally. But by the way, do you have a purpose when you fast? fast as opposed to just to fast? Ninety percent of the time, I will have a purpose. That way I don't wander or float around. I stay locked in, and I find it more motivating when I have something I can set my goal to and put my prayer focus on. Now, there are the exceptions when I'll I'll fast and pray just to seek the Lord, to draw near to the Lord. But the other times, I'm usually going after something, seeking God in prayer for a specific cause, and I'll have predetermined that before I, I even start the fast. Okay. What about you're working a job, um, maybe an office job, but you need your energy and you're concerned that if you fast, you're not going to do a good job. Or worse than that, you're not doing an office job. You're doing physical labor. Um, <laughs> how do you cope with that? I've had experiences with that, Sid. Um, you know, the Bible tells us, the Apostle Paul said, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord with all of your might, with all of your strength. And I believe our work, our careers, we should pour our hearts into them. And one of the worst witnesses would be to tell your boss, I can't work very good today because I'm fasting. I have no energy. And that's just not going to fly. That's a contradictory to Scripture. So we want to uh, prepare our bodies so that we can still work at a high ability. Now, one time when I used to work for a sprinkler irrigation company, we were laying sprinkler lines And this is when I was still beginning in the early stages to learn about fasting and to uh, learn about the response of God through fasting. And so I determined to drink juice and uh, not eat any food. And uh, so I started drinking orange juice and apple juice while I was laying these irrigation lines. 
and this is when I used to live in Texas, and the temperatures begin to rise, uh, 100 degrees, 110 degrees, and finally it stayed and held at 117 degrees and stayed there all week long. And so uh, the other guys were working with me uh, in this 117 degree heat, and I'm fasting, I'm not eating any food. And uh, a couple of the guys said, uh, you know, Brother Stephen, we're concerned about you. We're concerned you might just die or something like that. I said, no, I'll be, I'll be okay. I said, just watch and see. And after about the second and third and fourth day during this extreme heat, they began to really slack in their work because of the uh, tremendous heat. But I just kept drinking juice and kept praying in the Spirit while I was working. And I just had a grace of the Lord upon me, and I worked like a machine. I, fe- I felt like Samson. And I'm shoveling dirt, laying sprinkler line, doing that for 8 to 10 hours a day in 117 degree, degree heat, and did five days of that with no food. And on the fifth day, I broke my fast with a small salad. And when I did, something happened to my spiritual sight And I have begun to see in the spirit realm since that time where I have been able to discern angels. I have been able to see the glory. I can see waves of glory flow in meetings when the Holy Spirit is moving. And that was one of the initial rewards that God began to bless me with. What does a wave of glory look like? It looks. I, I'm, I'm having difficulty imagining this. There's some, like, like a wave in an ocean? Well, sometimes when I'm in, in a meeting ministering, the Holy Spirit will begin to open my spiritual eyes. My, my natural eyes are already opened. I can see with my natural eyes, but my spiritual eyes begin to open. And I can see a certain area of people that the Holy Spirit will be touching. And I can just release the glory of the Lord into that area. And I'll see it go out. It'll come from the stage. It'll begin to go over people. And it looks like waves of the sea. And it'll hit the people. And you can see the glory. And you can see the people shout. Some people fall. And some people begin to praise the Lord. Different types of responses as it flows. The anointing flows just like electricity or like water. And sometimes it looks like water. It looks like waves. Because of your prayer and fasting, some very unusual and amazing things happen in your life. For instance, you uh, went on our, you were our guest uh, teacher on our trip to Israel, yes. our most recent trip, and uh, I got reports that you, that people just walked close to you, and something happened. Tell me one. Well, this is one of the reasons I also began to. Uh, seek the Lord more and push back the plate more because I said, Lord, if Peter can walk in this anointing, were this shadow of Peter. And it really wasn't Peter's shadow. That was just a measurement of the proximity of the anointing coming off of him, that if people can get within the proximity of his shadow and get healed, I said, now, Lord, he's a man. If Peter, if that could happen to Peter, we have the potential to walk in that same level of anointing. And I began to seek the Lord for that. And that's something that he promised me that would begin to take place in my ministry. And we have been seeing that. And like when we were in Israel, one of the ladies, she said, "Uh, Brother Stephen, there were so many people around you. I couldn't get to you. So I just inched my way closer and closer. And you were so busy ministering to others that I just stood there. And suddenly this wave of glory came out and hit me. It came out from you. It was the Lord's anointing coming off of you. And all the pain in my body completely left me. And I was completely healed. And she said, thank you for being obedient unto the Lord. And I I said, well, I didn't even do anything. I was just standing there. It was the Lord who did that. But you you used a biblical reference. People could get under Peter's shadow and be physically healed. Are we coming into those days? Yes, the church is coming to that. Not just ministers only, but the church of the Lord is coming into that. Uh, We we need that because the devil isn't uh, rolling over and playing dead. 
so we need that type of uh, uh, nuclear power. Yes, we do. Peter, in a sense, if we can say this, he was radioactive. Something radioactive? Was, something was coming off of him, <laughs> just like the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines found that out when they captured the Ark. They realized they had gotten something that was beyond any kind of power they had ever known before, and it terrified them. They're like, we need to get rid of this thing. But we have... Uh, the ability, because we are believers and we're in the family of God, we actually have the ability to handle and contain this awesome anointing, this power, that the closest reference I can give to it is nuclear power. But that's what God's power is like, and he's releasing it, and he's putting it upon his people, and it's going to begin to flow out of his people, just like it did for Peter. And if you get in areas where that anointing is at, you'll get your healing. The anointing is going to spread beyond even a shadow. There'll be churches and groups of believers that will come together and the shadow will go out and cover a whole block. Well, I can picture a group of Christians getting together and and that and that nuclear power spreading, radiating if you will, uh for 10-12 miles, bars closing down, people that are going to their computer to do pornography yes. just being frozen and I mean that's coming. Absolutely. What happens is the anointing goes out, the glory goes out, the scales begin to come off the people, and they say, what in the world am I doing? Or they think, I have no pleasure in this thing, this sin, this vice that I'm doing. And they feel this. They feel God. They feel the presence of God. Most people that live their lives they, that are outside of God, they've never felt the presence of God. So for the first time in their life, they feel the, they feel God. They sense God's awesome presence. And they and say, you know what? what is that? They will never forget that. That's people right. that have never experienced, and I'm speaking to a lot of people now, and God loves you as much as someone that has experienced the presence of God. Uh, that's not the issue. But once you experience that, you will never forget it. And uh, real, real quick, you were praying one, one day for something like eight hours. Your family was gone and nothing. Two minutes before your family came in, you heard from God and you asked God the question, why did you wait so long? You really ask God yes. that? <laughs> After all day in prayer and fasting, waiting for the Lord, because my wife and family were out of, they had gone. And so I had the whole t time to spend with the Lord that day. And I spent the, all that time with the Lord, praying, reading my Bible, meditating. And the Lord never spoke one thing to me. There was, said there was not enough anointing to lift a feather off the desk. But I kept spending the time with the Lord. And then right before my wife drove down the driveway, which takes two minutes to reach the driveway from the beginning to the house, during those two minutes, the Lord began to talk to me. And I said, Lord, I've been here all day. Why would you wait till the last two minutes? He said, I didn't want to talk to you sooner because you may have left. I enjoyed your presence and your company so much that I didn't want to start talking to the very end. Say that one more time for someone that's not going to spend this evening uh, praying and, and now, May, what did God say to you again? He said, I so enjoyed your company and, be, and you being with me today. I didn't want to speak to you earlier. You may have left. So I waited to the very last moment so I could have you with me as long as possible. God really enjoys us putting him first beyond anything else on this world has to offer. It almost made my hair stand up on my head. I couldn't believe it. Well, we're out of time. That I can believe. We're making Stephen's brand new book, God's Nuclear Power. It will motivate you to want it fast and get this intimacy with God that he's speaking about and walk in the same anointing that Peter did and have the, the, the 
the gifts of the Spirit activated, your destiny activated, and then how to cooperate with angels, a second book called Working with Angels, must reading for the last days, available for a gift of $30. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, My guest walks in God's nuclear power. His name is Stephen Brooks. Uh, he's been walking in the gift of uh, the working of miracles and healings. And I, I wanted to find out, why him? Was he just someone special? Or does he have a special God that he has learned how to, and, uh, and I love it, in, uh, in your book, you, you mentioned something. And what you say is that through fasting, you break your love affair with the world. Amplify on that a little bit. Well, Sid, there are so many things in life that are not even necessarily bad things. They can even be good things, but they all pull on our attention. And sometimes it could be hobbies. Sometimes it could be even a nice thing. If it's, I had a friend of mine that confessed that because of the Lord's blessing, he had extra money. So he went out and bought a beautiful uh, plasma television, you know, a huge TV. And he said, now I can't stop watching it. So we have all of these wonderful things, even blessings and good things. But fasting helps reset and recalibrate our priorities so that, first of all, the Lord Jesus is on the throne of our hearts, and we're ready and positioned to respond to him instantly, no matter what he might ask us to do. You know, you're a pastor. As you teach about God's nuclear power to your congregation, um, and they start fasting uh, to your congregation and other places, uh, do you get much feedback of the change in their life? Yes, the change is always a wonderful testimony to hear. Sometimes the miracles will follow quickly after a fast. Sometimes they might not show up till six months later. And you know what? I have found that, and I used to get discouraged from fasting because my peanut brain that did not understand the invisible world said that something powerful has to happen when I fast. And when it didn't happen, then I got discouraged. I understand in most cases the benefits of a season of prayer and fasting, you'll see the results a few months down the road. Sometimes it could even be a year later. Now, God's going to take care of the immediate transition that you might be in, but often you're seeding into your future, and you'll know, you'll actually be able to tell when that harvest is kicking in gear. I've had it happen eight months later. You know what I believe? Some of the good things that are happening in your life and happening in my life are actually were broke loose from a fast maybe a decade ago. Absolutely. Um, The harvest can also be multiplied, and the Lord sees the sincerity, he sees the effort, and he will reward anybody. Anybody said who will diligently seek him, the Lord will honor that, even if it's a fast for one day, even if it's skipping one meal. There will be a blessing that will come for that person at the right time. What about fasting other things besides food? Well, I think uh, it's possible to receive a big spiritual boost just by fasting uh, information data, whether it's news, whether it's Internet, just to kind of pull back from some of those things. I'm a news junkie with all the elections going on. uh, I understand. I think many of us are, and we love love this instant access. So so for me, to fast news 
would be tougher than food. I understand. <laughs> and the, the catch is, is to replace it with something spiritually edifying. And uh, so, yes, to pull back from TV, spend some time with the Lord, uh, or even spend some more time with the family, uh, but particularly to invest it into the Lord and to his kingdom, whether it's going down to a ministry, volunteering to help or to the church, the Lord will honor that. Okay. What, what about someone that all of a sudden their finances have dried up? Uh, has that happened in your life? It has, and you can have different reasons for that. I actually had a situation just a couple of years ago, uh, only about two years ago, where it seemed that with my ministry finances, it, something had bottleneck, and I knew it wasn't the Lord because the Lord, he's a, God, he's a God who will take care of things. He was blessing me, and I felt it was the enemy, and sure enough, I got in the prayer, and the Lord opened my eyes in the spirit realm, and I could see it seemed like a, an evil army of the enemy holding back. They had built like a wall. It looked like a dam that was holding back water, and I knew what they were trying to hold back was provision. And in the natural, it didn't make any sense. What happened to the uh, constant offerings? What happened to the ongoing provision? It seemed like something dammed it up. And uh but the thing is, the bills still keep coming in. Needs are still there. And I said, Lord, what am I going to do? He said, well, what are you going to do about this? And I said, well, Lord, I'm going to seek you because, see, in Isaiah 58, which is the classic chapter on fasting, it actually says, you shall break the yoke. Now, I know the, the, the Holy Spirit is the one that removes the burdens and destroys the yokes, but Isaiah 58 actually indicates that we have an involvement in that. We have a participation in the breaking of the yoke. So I said, well, I'm going to pull out all the stops and just right up front do a three-day Esther fast. And I did no food and no water for three days. Now, a person has to be careful about that, particularly if you're on some type of medication or... Uh, not just medication. I have to tell you, I did it one time and it just zapped all of my energy. Yeah, you, you'll pretty much be shut down. You you cannot work and function. Uh, even a, even just doing water is very difficult. If you cut the water also, then you're going to have almost zero energy. And uh, so... My, my bones even hurt when I did that, I have to tell you. <laughs> yes, you, you definitely want to take uh, some days off if you do that. But that's, see, that's also critical situations. That, that's, a, that's a drastic situation. That's not normal every day. Right. That's once in a rare moon you have something when you really... You have to respond. You can't just... So, okay, you did the Esther fast. What happened? Well, the Lord... The Lord... I, I mean, I've already talked everyone out of it by now, but <laughs> no, serious. It's what happened to you when you did? Well, when it's a life-threatening thing like that, you push yourself, and there's a grace that will help take you through it. I came off the fast. I actually drove to the grocery store to get some juice, and I realized that wasn't a good thing to do either because after no food no water or, or no liquids, uh, my brain wasn't responding very quickly. I, my brain would say, put your foot on the uh, on the brake pedal when you see a red light, but I had had no water, so it was really hard to respond. So if you're doing this type of fast, don't drive. Stay at home and let somebody get you some nourishment when you come off of it. it it's amazing. All you have to do is add juice and none of this happens, but right. go ahead. <laughs> you're, you're right. And so I came off the fast. Nothing changed. The, there was still... Uh, Something was stopping the, the normal flow of provision. And from this point on, I knew the Lord had heard my prayers, but now I've just got to walk it out by faith. And the enemy, I felt like the enemy was like taunting me, like God's got you out of so many tight places, but this one you're not going to get out of. I'm going to, I'm going to embarrass you and humiliate you. You're not going to get your bills paid on this one. And I said, 
nope, I'm going to stay in faith, and God's going to make a way. And there came a point just shortly after that, it broke, and I had miracle provision flow in. I, I had money flow in. I couldn't even explain. I had, uh, for, for instance, I had somebody from China send me $10,000. I, I, I wanted to thank them. I wanted to send a, a letter, but there was no return address, no way to thank them. All I could do was say, Lord, bless that person. I had money come in from all over the world, and every bit of it was miracle money. I was instantly able to pay up all my bills, replenish storehouses, and jump right back and was in a better position than I was before it ever even happened. Tell me about, and you talk about this in your book, God's Nuclear Power, the art of waiting on the Lord. Explain that. Waiting on the Lord is a little bit different from prayer because prayer denotes making requests or asking petitions of God. And there's a place for that. We have many scriptures that verify the the necessity and the pleasure and joy of asking God for things and then receiving. But waiting on the Lord is a little bit different. Waiting on the Lord is just being with the Lord, not in the sense to ask for something, but just to hang out with God and get to know him and sense what's on his heart. All right, there's something that I do, and we've taught on it for quite a while. It's called soaking. Yes. Where uh, you you just play some muse, anointed music and no agenda, uh, and you, you just lay on the floor or you sit in an easy chair, uh, and, and you just open, at least with me, I just open myself up to the Lord. Is this what you're talking about? It is, but I'll share a secret that will amplify that to a whole new level, and that's waiting on the Lord in the night. In other words, it's something sacrificial. It's something where maybe you wake up at 2.30 or 3.30 in the morning uh, because maybe you have to go to the restroom or maybe you just wake up and you're not sure what to do. Well, just give the Lord 30 minutes, not asking anything, but just waiting with the Lord. And How do you stop from falling asleep? Well, that's part of the I'm sacrifice. Just, I, I, I'm, You're right. I'm serious, though. <laughs> You're right. That's, that's part of the sacrifice. But sometimes there seems to be a, an anointing where, for some reason, you're not tired. And you, you think, know, that's what? happened to me, Stephen, and, uh, and I've done that, and I, it's the most amazing thing. The minute I go back to bed, I fall asleep that right. second, but I didn't while I was waiting on the Lord. Well, there's a verse in the Psalms that says that the Lord will enlighten your darkness. And darkness doesn't, in that reference, mean sin. It just means areas in our life we don't have understanding. Lord, where do you want me to go to college at? Lord, who do you want me to marry? Lord, which job career am I supposed to choose? And all of these different things, sometimes we need more illumination. And it's during those very, very quiet times, not asking anything, but just waiting on the Lord, he comes and he illuminates these areas of our lives where we need more light and understanding. Now, you, you talk about some of the basics when you get into fasting that people just don't know unless they read about it. Uh, and that is your body, especially today, more so than I think 2,000 years ago, is loaded with toxins and it makes it more difficult to fast. What should someone do that, uh, like someone that drinks coffee every day and they stop drinking coffee all of a sudden, they, they, they get headaches, etc.? Right. That's why it's wise to do a little preparation before you make a commitment. That way you're not discouraged if you end up pulling out. And even if, even if you end up pulling out, let's say you want to fast three days, you only make it one. It's not a failure. You succeeded at one day. So there's always grace involved. But if you want to really finish it, then prepare yourself and understand the physiological reactions that your body will have, which was so amazingly made and created by God. But we do live in a different culture, Sid, than what the Lord had in his day. Uh, in 
in his day, the Lord's walking around eating fresh fish. They're eating figs. They're eating natural honey. They're eating things that uh, today it's a very different world with all the preservatives and chemicals we well, have in our we're, food. We're, we're out of time. Stephen, uh, you have an amazing story of an angel in Germany. Tell me about that. Well, I was traveling uh, to a church for a wedding rehearsal for my oldest daughter, and uh, I was driving, uh, actually riding in the front passenger seat. Uh, the man driving the car was the father of my uh, son-in-law, a uh, big, big German man. And we were driving in the national car of Germany, which was a wonderful Mercedes-Benz. My daughter, my youngest daughter, Abigail, was riding in the back of the car. As we're going on the way to the church, uh, traveling at about 45 miles per hour, we came to an intersection where we had the right-of-way and did not have to stop. And another lane that was merged in, they had a stop sign. They had to stop. But while we're driving together, uh, going along, another car coming from the other direction ran the stop sign and, and completely blasted right through the stop sign and was coming right at us. Everybody in the car, uh, the driver, myself, and my daughter, we all braced for impact. We knew there was going to be a crash. There was no way it could be avoided. And that car, Sid, came and just rammed right into us, but there was no impact. And the car merged in with our car. I could actually turn to my right, and I could see the driver of this car. He looked like uh, somebody who was maybe on drugs or something like that. And he had his car had somehow supernaturally merged into our car. There was a hedge of protection, and the driver of the other car looked at me. I looked at him, but there was no impact. And so we drove ahead. Now, were you the only one that saw this? No, the driver, uh, who was my son-in-law's father, saw it, but he d couldn't speak any English, and I couldn't speak any German. So he was a he was a staunch Lutheran, so we couldn't communicate. Now, now, now I've heard a way out things, but you're telling me God supernaturally made both of your cars invisible, uh, so to speak, so that they could crash into each other and not hurt you and not... How about the cars? Were there any scratches on the cars? Well, we we drove straight ahead for about 100 yards before the next exit, and that car separated from us and pulled off and shot down the other exit. And we were somehow blended and merged together, and then he just pulled away. And it was one of the most unusual things. It sure was quiet in that car after that, even though we couldn't communicate. But the next day, uh, my son-in-law, he said... He said, Stephen, I talked to my father last night. He said he has never seen anything like that in his life before. He said he was shaking, uncontrollably shaking for the next eight hours. He said, truly, the man riding in the car with me must have been a man of God. How does that tie in with God's nuclear power? It's a result of walking with the Lord. The enemy can't touch you. God makes you absolutely invincible. Okay, but I had asked you about the angel story in Germany. Tell me the angel story. This was a story when I was fasting and seeking the Lord, and after an extended fast, my appetite suddenly came back, and I actually wanted to keep the fast going a little bit longer, but my appetite came back, and the Lord Jesus came into the room where I was at. There was also an angel that was there, but the Lord said, I want you to start eating again, and then he shared some things with me about my ministry, and also the angel with him was one of the angels that was from Germany, who works with me coming into that nation. It was very interesting how there's different angels assigned to different countries, whether it's Michael, 
who many people believe is the chief prince angel over Israel. And I've met different angels in different countries. One time I was able to meet the, the angel, the chief prince angel that's over Singapore. And uh, it, but, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, all these things are happening. I know from the word of God that angels accompany me and accompany everyone that's listening to me right now. I know this. And I have been privileged to see some angels at strategic times. But this is happening too much to you. Can can this happen to me? I, I want to, I mean, I know they're there. So my question is, how can I be more aware? How can I see them? How can I feel them all more than I do? I believe anybody can move into a place where there is a heightened sensitivity to the workings and movings of God, to the gifts of the Spirit, and also to the angelic realm, because the angels can have a greater involvement in our life when we invite them in and have a greater understanding of who they are, what they do, what God's purpose for their lives are. We can put them to work much more effectively by understanding the angelic ministry. How about that angel in Miami? Well, I spoke at a wonderful church at Apostle Maldonado's church in Miami. And as soon as the meeting was over, we had to get out of Miami very quickly because a hurricane was coming into town. And so we went to the Miami airport. There was complete chaos because thousands and thousands of people were trying to leave the city because of the hurricane. And so I went straight to the uh, terminal, my, myself and my daughter. We went straight to our gate so we could get on the plane. But my wife had stopped to get a coffee somewhere. And so uh, everybody else had already get, gotten on the plane because they were pre-boarding to try to rush everybody because they're trying to expedite everything. And the lady the, at the gate, she said, you've got to get on the plane now. I said, I can't. My wife is not here. She said, I, I can only wait for two more minutes or they're going to leave. I said, we're still on time. We're early. She said, we've speeded everything up because we've got to get everybody out of here. And so right at the last moment, my wife walked up and she said, okay, I've got to board the Brooks party now. All four of you, where are you at? There's one more person missing. There's one person not here. I said, no, we're all here. She said, no, there's a party of Brooks of four that I see here. And you're all supposed to be here. I said, no, we're all here. She said, well, who's Stephen Brooks? I said, that's me. Who's Kelly Brooks? That's my wife. Who's Abigail Brooks? That's my daughter. I said, we're all here. She said, no, you're not. She said, there's somebody called Grace Brooks also that shows it's traveling with you. Now, this lady wouldn't know this working at the airlines, but the personal angel that God has assigned over my domestic travels is named Grace. And she somehow had a legitimate legal roll call of everybody on that plane who was traveling. There was somebody named Grace Brooks. But that, you, you must have been so high in the spirit when that happened. That well, is phenomenal. I said, I looked at her. I said, Grace is here. She said, where? <laughs> I said, she's here. She said, I don't see her. She said, I don't have time to, I don't have time to figure it out. She said, just get on the plane and go. Uh, Stephen, I want you to list, just rattle off, not necessarily what's happened in your life, although this has all happened in your life, but five or six things that can happen to someone listening to us uh, when they tap into God's nuclear power uh, through prayer and fasting. Uh, the first thing is that your walk with the Lord is going to go through the roof. You, you can almost feel like you got born again again. You'll feel like you were dunked in the Spirit, immersed in the Spirit with a fresh infilling again, and you'll fall in love with the Lord in a much fresher way. Uh, it's like an axe trying to chop at a tree. You'll, your edge will be so sharp. You'll, you're, you'll have a strength and anointing. Isaiah chapter 40 won't just be a nice 
poetic book, you'll actually feel the strength of God come into your life. You'll come off of a fast. Everything will seem better in your life. Even food will taste better. Your tongue, your taste buds will be super heightened like they never have before. Even if you do a three or five day fast, food will taste so much better. Everything seems invigorated, refreshed. Even the grass can look greener. And, but your spirit will be so sensitive. Sometimes, Sid, if I come off of a fast for five days, I can sit down. I'll have people sit next to me and the gifts are operating by the Spirit so strong in me, I can, I can know exactly what... It, it like what, fine-tunes the gifts. Yes, I can, I can tell what people are thinking. I'll, I'll just jump right in on their thoughts or the, on their conversations that they're having with themselves. They'll say, how did in the world did you know that? I said, I can just hear what you're thinking. It's everything, the gifts will just explode in your All life. Right. Speaking of hearing what you're thinking, there's someone listening to us right now, Stephen, uh, that has had prophecies, a number of them, years ago, and they have never come to pass. What advice would you give them? I'd say now's your time, and I'd say at the same time, don't just let another year go by. Go after these things. Uh, prophecies can be conditional. So there's some that can be sovereign. So take it, go take it. Don't leave these things to chance. Don't leave it for somebody else to pray this thing through for you. You jump in there and pray, throw a little fasting in there, be, be aggressive. And you'll begin to see that you're taking these things one by one until you've received your full inheritance. How do you pronounce this in your book? You talk about Padre Pio. Padre Pio. He was a wonderful saint uh, from Italy and had a very unusual life because he was a man that you could look at, and to a certain degree, the Lord lifted his appetite. And uh, although he weighed about 200 pounds, he would eat such a small amount of food, yet he was so full and, and, uh, and, and how can I say, fat in a sense. How do you get fat when you don't eat anything? Well, that's what people couldn't figure out. And he would have scientists study him. He would have uh, people come in from universities saying, well, he's eating food when we're not looking. Uh, But he would just say that the strength he has and the empowerment to work 18 to 19 hours a day was because he would take communion and the life of the Lord, the life of Yeshua would be so imparted into his life. He just they, went they, they brought a baby in a suitcase. What happened? The child died on the train trip to the place. The mother put the child in the suitcase. She got there and broke into tears, uncontrollable sobbing and crying. Padre Pio said, stop crying so loud. You're going to wake the child up. They opened up the suitcase, took the dead child out, and the child came back to life. It is urgent that you get Stephen's brand new book, God's Nuclear Power. It will explode what Jesus promises you in the Bible, in your life. And then, how to cooperate with angels, a second book called Working with Angels, must reading for the last days, available for a gift of $30. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.com. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime. 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. 
For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.